Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. We need to be more like Joseph. Do you have the right to pull back the bow? Yeah. Do you have a defense there? Did they wrong you? Probably. Probably. Do you have the right to let go of that arrow? No, you do not. I don't care how right you are. You do not have the right to let go of that arrow. You don't. We really need to be, and and Joseph really here, his whole life just illustrated this thing of control. You have the power of the creator of the universe on your side, the one who breathed all of this into existence. That's a lot of power. But how will you use his truth? Will you use it as a weapon to tear others down and to puff yourself up? Or will you use it as an instrument of grace, lifting up the broken? As Pastor James will point out through the example of Jacob offered in today's chapter, true wisdom and strength are demonstrated in those who surrender their control to serve God's greater purposes. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Genesis chapter 49 with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. goes into Joseph. So you got really two kind of main ones here that we're dealing with. You got Judah, praise, and then you got Joseph, who has been now recognized as like the heir, so to speak, firstborn kind of deal. The other thing, I didn't mention this last week, but um, when you're talking, when the Bible's talking about firstborn, you need to understand a lot of times that's speaking of preeminence. What that means is this, because Jesus is called the firstborn of all creation. doesn't mean he was literally birthed before anybody else. He always has been, always was, with God, right? Always was. So God didn't hook up with some lady or something and then had Jesus. That's not how that works, okay? Uh, But it talks about being firstborn as preeminence, meaning greater than everybody else, okay? More significant in that sense. Don't be slighted by that because Jesus is better than you, all right? So don't be offended by that. You want that to be the case. I desperately want that to be the case, and it is true. He is, it's a preeminence type thing. So with last week, we were talking about Ephraim and Manasseh. Ephraim was the younger son, but he was seen as the older son. It was a preeminence type thing, okay? Just wanted to clarify that. Verse 22 of this chapter, Joseph. Joseph is a fruitful bow, a fruitful bow by a spring. His branches run over the wall. Uh, So here he's recognizing the fact that Joseph, his whole life has been fruitful. God has been with this young man. At this point in time, he's in his 50s, but he has been with this young man all throughout his entire life, even when he was sold as a slave by his brothers down into Egypt, a place where he didn't know anybody, didn't speak the language, didn't understand the culture. He had to start from scratch, living in a whole new land, He was fruitful because God was with him the entire step of the way, even in the dungeons, even in the prison and all that, and then then ruling second in command uh, over all of Egypt. God was with him. And because of that, he was fruitful. It was like that John chapter 15 thing where Joseph was abiding in the vine, right? And then he was bearing much fruit because he was abiding in one sense in the Lord. And, and it, it just, again, a good practical lesson for us, abide in Christ and allow him to, what, 
produce fruit through you. This also would speak of Psalm chapter 1, the person being uh, planted by a tree, being planted by a river. Its roots run deep and it bears much fruit. Okay? So this is kind of what's being said of Joseph. Jacob is recognizing that his son, Joseph, man, the Lord has been with him and the Lord has been blessing him and using him all the way, all the way. Verse 23, the archers have bitterly grieved him, shot at him, and hated him, but his bow remained in strength and the arms of his hands were made strong by the hands of the mighty God of Jacob. Um, This is a really good point for us. Because we may look at this and we may be thinking like, well, what does that even mean? Well, all throughout Joseph's life, the archers had been taking shots at him, his own brothers, all his life. Was he a spoiled kid? Probably. He was the favorite kid. So he probably was spoiled. Did he act like a spoiled kid? Probably. Okay, he's not a perfect kid. He's not perfect. He's not sinless or anything like that. But his brothers hated him hated him and probably took shots at him whenever they could, even so much so that they would sell their brother. Well, they first thought about, let's just murder this guy. Well, no, let's not murder him. Let's at least make some money off of him and sell him as a slave. Constantly, people were taking shots at him, taking shots at him. Here's here's the the difference maker for Joseph. And this, this has to be true of you and I, because people are going to take shots at you all throughout your life. You can't control it. All throughout your life, people will take shots at you. Now, that's not going to happen every single day, but you probably experienced that, maybe from people that were near and dear to you. As soon as you turn your back, it's like, boom, right in the back. Joseph, it says, but his bow remained in strength, and the arms of his hands were made strong by the hands of the mighty God of Jacob. So just to get the picture here, it's like the arrows are being shot at Jacob or at Joseph, and Joseph's got his bow, and he's got it pulled. And he could fire that thing if he wanted to. But God's hand is on his hand, holding that string. Yeah, the bow is in strength, but God's hand is on this hand, not allowing him to what? To get revenge. To get revenge. Would he have been justified in doing it? We couldn't have blamed him. You couldn't have blamed him. His own brother sold him as a slave. He had every right, and he had multiple opportunities to release the bow of revenge. I'll show you. Boom. He could have done it, but he never did it. He never did it. He didn't do it. Was it through his own strength? No. No. The key is right there. By the hands, his hands, the arms of his hands, were made strong by the hands of the mighty God of Jacob. We need to know this. You got to learn this because there's a lot of nonsense, especially happening in the church today. Most of the arrows being shot are happening within the churches and it's ridiculous. It's just stupid. It is absolutely just mind-blowing what we'll do to each other within the church. Ridiculous. Okay, brothers and sisters, we're supposed to be, yet we treat each other like enemies. All the arrows are being, we have an enemy, Ephesians chapter 6, he's firing arrows at us on the daily. Paul talked about that. He says, you better suit up. Spiritual armor, your, your enemies, it's not flesh and blood. You might think it is. You might think it is, but that's not true. Your enemy 
It's a spiritual warfare. And there are, there are enough arrows coming at believers from him. Stop shooting them at each other. That's nonsense. It is nonsense. And if, man, if you've been in the church world for any certain amount of time, you've felt it. You've experienced it. We have friends going through it right now. And it is the stupidest thing I've ever heard of. What, what are we doing? I'm sorry, but I got this enemy, and his name is Satan, and he's firing a lot of shots at me. The last thing we need to be doing is firing arrows within these walls, so to speak, at each other. What is going on? It's crazy. You, we need to be more like Joseph. Do you have the right to pull back the bow? Yeah. Do you have a defense there? Did they wrong you? Probably. Probably. Do you have the right to let go of that arrow? No, you do not. I don't care how right you are. You do not have the right to let go of that arrow. You don't. We really need to be, and, and Joseph really here, his whole life just illustrated this thing of control. Not self-control. Yes, self-control is in the fruit of the Spirit, and that's what I'm talking about. Not like will or like, I'm just going to will this thing to happen. Not that, because that doesn't even work. I mean, that can last for a certain amount of time, but then you know that that thing is out the window, right? After a, certain, after a while, everybody's will will essentially collapse. You need something outside of yourself. You need something bigger and stronger than you, and that would be the Holy Spirit. Joseph's life really illustrates that. He was controlled by the Spirit of God. That's what can keep him from releasing that arrow. Did he have the right to do it? He, he would have had the right to do it but he would have been wrong in doing it. And I wish, I hope that the church would just see that. Of like, yeah, you might have the right to release that arrow, but you would be wrong in doing so. It doesn't make sense. Well, then how am I gonna, how am I gonna save face? How am I gonna save my name? They're talking about me. Let the Lord be your defense. Let them talk. Let them talk. Who cares? Let them talk. Well, you don't know. Oh, no, I know. I know, as I'm sure there's been things said about me, but who cares? Run to the Lord, who is your salvation, who is your rock, and that rock is higher than you. Run to him. Let the Lord be your defense, period. But it's just not right. Somebody needs to correct them. Let the Lord do it. Let him do it. Let him do it. Does he care about you? Yes, yes. Let the Lord come to your defense. Nobody can, can make things right better than he can. Trust the Lord with that stuff, okay? We've got to be like Joseph in this scenario. Man, let the Lord just, and, and, and i got to pray this all the time. I probably should do it more than what I do. Lord, just take control of my tongue and my mouth because that really is the sharpest arrow that we have to fire out. But Lord, help me to watch what I say because I say stupid things all the time. I say hurtful things all the time. Lord, please guard this thing. He goes on to say, uh, finishing up that verse 24, uh, from there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. So there's, again, two references for the Lord, God being referenced as the shepherd. In John chapter 10, Jesus is the good shepherd, the stone of Israel. That is that rock that, that's, you know, that firm foundation, that is our fortress, that is our, I mean, that is the one. We need to run to Jesus, run to him. Verse 25, by the God of your father who will help you and by, all, by the almighty who will bless you with blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that lies beneath. So this is Joseph's life and Jacob is just saying, listen, man, 
commit your ways to the Lord, trust in the Lord, lean not on your own understanding, do all that stuff. Like let the Lord, you know, let him be your defense. Let him guide you, let him feed you, shepherd you. Let him, let the Lord just take your life and rule it and control it. Just surrender your life to him, trust him. And he's, he's pointing out the fact that Joseph, you are blessed from above and from below. You are totally surrounded by God's blessings. Wisdom would say, trust the Lord, because nobody had it worse than Joseph except for Jesus, okay? Like Joseph was sold by, as we've already said many times, as a slave into, you know, down there to Egypt. Jesus was murdered by his, he came to his own and his own rejected him and they crucified him. You may have been wronged by people and I'm not belittling that at all, but I am saying this, you run to the Lord. Trust in the Lord that he can make all those wrongs, he can make it right. And maybe he wants to do something spectacular in the midst of all that mess, where if you would step into it, you would just make a bigger mess. But maybe God's got another plan. Just trust him. Just trust him. Verse 26, the blessings of your father have excelled the blessings of my ancestors up to the utmost bound of the everlasting hills. They shall be on the head of Joseph. There he is. He's placing Joseph as like his, you know, he's placing the scepter, you know, to the torch is going to be carried on by Joseph. It should be on the head of Joseph and on the crown of him who was separate from his brothers. And then the last brother, Benjamin, the youngest. Benjamin is a ravenous wolf. In the morning, he shall devour the prey and at night he shall divide the spoil. And that's what's said about him. Uh, Benjamin, the youngest tribe uh, a ferocious tribe, man, a, a strong, this tribe was almost uh, extinct. Read the book of Judges. It's a messed up book, really messed up book, um, pretty graphic and all that stuff. But towards the end of that book, the tribe of Benjamin was basically almost, pretty much just almost like totally wiped out. Well, what would have happened if they were all, if they would have all been wiped out at that point in time? Well, you wouldn't have had a King Saul which you're like, well, I could have done without him, right? Like, I mean, that was really man's choice and wasn't really the best guy in the world. But you also wouldn't have Saul, another Saul named the Apostle Paul because he came from the tribe of Benjamin. So they were on the brink of extinction and really God saved these guys. But this is a, man, these are a tough tribe. These were, these dudes, you did not want to mess with these guys. They were all, I mean, just incredible fighters, incredible warriors. And that's really what Joseph is saying about his youngest son, Benjamin. He's a wolf. He's a wolf. And this guy knows how to fight. In verse 28, all these are the 12 tribes of Israel. And this is what their father spoke to them. He blessed them. He blessed each one according to his own blessing. So he had other things to say to these guys. He's closing it out. Here's what I see the Lord's going to do for you. I'm going to pray blessings upon you. Verse 29, then he charged them and said to them, I am to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of uh, Ephron, the Hittite, in the cave that is in uh, Machpelah, which is before Mamre, the, the, in, the, uh, Mamre the, in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought in, uh, with the field of Ephron, the Hittite, as a possession for a burial place. This again reminding us the fact that they actually bought this place. They, they have stake within the land, okay? They purchased the land there. And he's saying, bury me there. Verse 31, there they buried Abraham and Sarah, his wife. There they buried Isaac and Rebekah, his wife. There I have buried Leah. The field and the cave that is there were purchased from the sons of Heath. And when Jacob had finished commanding his sons, he drew up his feet into his bed 
breathed his last, and was gathered to his people. Like this is literally the last moment of his life. He's sitting on his bed. He's got all his boys with him. He's speaking prophetic words over each one of his sons. He's blessing each and every one of his sons. So it wasn't all like bad stuff. He was, he was blessing them. And he says, the last thing he says to his sons, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. Do not leave me in this land. Egypt is not my home. You know where I belong. I belong in the promised land. We have a burial plot there that we have rightfully paid for. Your great-grandfather's there, your grandfather's there, your great-grandmother, your great-grandmother, your, uh, your other mom uh, is there. Um, and, you know, Rachel was buried somewhere else because she died on the journey. But he's saying, that's where I belong as far as my bones, my body, you know, what would be left of it. And that's what he charges his sons with. The last thing he says to his sons other than, and, and this is probably the most significant moment in Jacob's life. Probably like, I mean, this is an incredible moment. Um, and he's had some amazing moments within his life, but this is the way to go out. This is how you want to go out. But this is how I would want to go out. You just be there and have my family and say like, let me pray for you guys. Let me tell you how good the Lord is. Let me tell you what the Lord has in store for you. Let me just, let me just encourage you with how God sees you. Then he flips his feet onto the bed and dude's gone. He's gone. And I want to leave you guys with this. this I read this. Uh, this is from an article from uh, DesiringGod.org. This is uh, John Piper's website. This wasn't written by him. This was written by John Reinhardt. Because we could be left with the question, well, like, well, we read about the 12 tribes, but what about me? What does God have to say about me? Let me tell you. Um, there's a little link to this article, but I think it's totally worth it. This guy goes on to write, and he just breaks it down through these verses. Um, he starts off with this. You are valuable. You're valuable. He goes on to say, and he's quoting scripture all throughout here. I'm the creator. You are my creation. I breathe into your nostrils the breath of life. That's from Genesis chapter 2. I created you in my own image, Genesis chapter 1. My eyes saw your unformed substance, Psalm 139. I knit you together in your mother's womb, Psalm 139. I know the number of hairs on your head, and before a word is on your tongue, I know it, Matthew chapter 10 and Psalm 139. You are fearfully and wonderfully made, Psalm 139 again. You are more valuable than many sparrows, Matthew chapter 10. I have given you dominion over all sheep, oxen, and all the uh, beasts of the fields, uh, the, the field and the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea, Psalm chapter 8, Genesis chapter 1. I have crowned you with glory and honor as the pinnacle and final act of the six days of creation, Psalm chapter 8, Genesis chapter 1. However, from the beginning, you exchanged the truth for, uh, about me for a lie. You worshiped and served other created things rather than me, the creator, Romans chapter 1. You have sinned and fallen short of my glory, Romans 3. Just as I said to Adam and Eve, the penalty of sin is death, Romans chapter 6, Genesis chapter 2. And in your sin, you were spiritually dead, Ephesians chapter 2. You were children of wrath, living as enemies to me, Ephesians 2, Romans 5. You turned aside from me. You became corrupt. There was none, uh, none or no one or none who does good, not even one, Psalm 14. What you deserve is my righteous judgment, Psalm chapter 7. And yet, in my great love, I gave my unique son that all who believe in him will not perish but have everlasting life, John 3, 16. While you were still sinners, Christ died for you. While you were still hostile toward me, 
towards me. You are reconciled to me by the death of my son, Romans chapter 5. Sin doesn't have the last word. Grace does, Romans chapter 5. Now everyone who calls on the name of Jesus will be saved, Romans 10. You have believed, uh, you who have believed are born again, 1 Peter chapter 1. I have adopted you, Ephesians chapter 1. You are children of God as heirs of God, 1 John 3, Romans chapter 8. You are no longer orphans. You belong to me, John chapter 14, 1 Corinthians 6. And I love you as a perfect father, 1 John and Luke chapter 15. I, I mean, I can go on and on about what God thinks about you. But I think that kind of sums it up. You need to understand that this is the God in whom we're dealing with when we open up the word of God. That's the God we're talking about, who, yes, recognizes the fact that, yeah, every single one of us sins. You're born a sinner, but he wasn't going to leave anybody that way. He sent his son to die on us, and he does have a, Jeremiah chapter 29, he has a plan for you. He has a plan for you. He loves you tremendously, more than what you will ever understand or be able to comprehend in this life. I don't care how many times you read his book, you will never fully grasp how much he loves you and how much he cares about you. You'll never get it. You'll never get it. You will only scratch the surface of it. But that'll be enough to get you through this life. You will have all eternity to hang out with him and to understand exactly how much he does love you and care about you. But you got to know that about God. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, if you are in Christ, you are a new creation and all the old has passed away. It's gone. It's gone. You can be like Judah. You may have had a rough start. That doesn't mean that's how you have to end. Man, the God sees potential. And you wouldn't be here. You wouldn't be in this room right now today if God didn't care about you, I think God is sovereign. I believe God is in absolute control. And I believe there's no accidents or coincidences at all. And I believe you maybe showed up to be reminded of the fact that there is a God out there and he loves you more than anything else in this world. And all he wants from each and every one of us is a relationship with him. And that's it. That's it. It's as simple as that. And it's as beautiful as that. That's what he wants. That's the God we serve. That's the God who, who took time to make sure that this word was preserved for you on this very day in the month of June in 2019 here in Galveston, Texas to show up at a church and say, to be reminded of like, yeah, I love you and I care about you and I got a plan for you. I got a plan for you. So are you ready? Let's go. That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. The best thing is to be like Judah within that story and say, at, at some point in time, you, you, gotta, you just got to stop and be like, you know what? I need to change. I need to change. I'm going down this path. It's not doing me any good, but I need to go down this path and let the Lord take hold of your life. Let the Lord control your life. Trust him. Man, just trust him and watch what he can do. You will turn into like a Joseph type character to where you might've been the one who just, man, I love shooting arrows. Man, I'm just all day shooting arrows. This is what I do. I'm typing out arrows all the time, you know, tweeting them out. Uh, no, stop that. Stop it. Stop it. Let the Lord give you that self-control. Let's quit firing arrows at each other, but let's see like, man, Lord, what do you want me to do? How do, you want to, how do you want to use me? How do you want to use me in this grand thing that you have going on here, your kingdom in this earth? How do you want to use me? Genesis is the beginning of it all. 
not just the Bible, but life as a whole. God detailed his creation story in the first few chapters of this book, and then went on to reveal his power and glory in the following pages. We learn who he is through this book, what's important to him, and how he expects us to follow him. We're so glad you tuned in today for Bread for the Broken to learn from Genesis, and we hope you'll return for our next edition. If you'd like to listen to other messages from this series, visit breadforthebroken.com. We'd also like to invite you to come meet us in person at Calvary Galveston. We meet each Sunday at 10 a.m. to spend time worshiping God, reading verse by verse through the Bible, and getting to know each other better. When you visit, be sure to find Pastor James and shake his hand. Let him know that you heard him right here on Bread for the Broken. Before our time with you is over for the day, we want to ask for your help. Would you partner with us in prayer? Bread for the Broken is a ministry, and in a way, a mission field. We're reaching people for Jesus through a different kind of medium. And therefore, we need to make sure Jesus is our focus. Would you pray for Pastor James and the team that puts Bread for the Broken together? Pray that we'd all keep our eyes fixed on our Savior and be willing to follow Him no matter where He leads. Thanks for lifting us up in prayer before the Lord. Know that we too are praying for you each day. And thanks for tuning in today to Pastor James' message on Bread for the Broken. We pray that you find hope and new life in Jesus. Let me paint the picture of you, man, who I love and give it.